I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles that's provided there in the pew, this will be on page 761, Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing where we began last week in what is a portion of Matthew that takes about three chapters of what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're looking in this morning on a sermon that Jesus preached to a group of people 2,000 years ago. We're not going through every part of the sermon, but we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew in focusing on what it says about prayer in particular. Um, But we'll see that everything Scripture says about following after God is interconnected in some way. And so through prayer, we touch on a whole variety of subjects. But this is chapter 6. We're going to read today the first eight verses. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And that's where we'll conclude our reading this morning. Uh, Brad will pick it up next week at verse 9, and then the instructions of the Lord's Prayer. Before Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he sounds uh, a few alarms, a few cautions, a few warnings to us. And so the first uh, point as we consider this passage is uh, to, to hear Jesus as he says to beware of hypocrisy. And the whole of the first verse is beware of practicing your righteousness before others so that uh, you would be seen by them and, and regarded highly by them. And then when he specifically applies that in three different ways in the rest of the chapter to giving, praying, and fasting, each time as he goes a little bit deeper, he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do it. And so what he's warning us and saying, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them is beware of hypocrisy. Beware of the danger of trying to be seen as doing something that isn't really true to who you are or what you normally do. Beware of faking it. Beware of just trying to impress other people in any of the things that you do. And that's a warning that we still need to hear, and I think it's part of why Jesus continues 
to consider people to think, especially those who are suspicious of religion and suspicious of, of God and, and who he is, to hear that Jesus himself recognized that there were all kinds of temptations, especially for religious people, to be hypocritical. That it's easier to say things that we don't really mean. It's easier to speak better uh, about something than the actual substance of it happens to be. And religious people do it as much or more than non-religious people. And Jesus doesn't want any of his followers to think that as they're now coming into this new kingdom that they should be in any way thinking that there'll be any advantages to pretending, to trying to make things sound better than they are. I think little children can pick up on hypocrisy really quick. I, I do get pointed out the many times that they think I'm being hypocritical and saying one thing or doing another, or they'll say to Amy, why do you say we're not allowed to do that, but apparently dad's allowed to do that, and then I have to give an account and an answer for why that's the case. But you don't have to be very old or very mature before you can begin to notice those things, that we might talk one way in one situation and act one way in another. And Jesus doesn't want that for us as his followers, as chapter 5 ended when he said to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He, he wants us to be citizens of his kingdom all the way through, all the time, not just one way on Monday and a different way on Wednesday and a different way when we're in church with other people. Uh, at, at no point are we supposed to feel like we're performing for others. This isn't a show. It's supposed to have substance behind it. It's supposed to be tied to reality, and so all of us are supposed to beware of the danger of hypocrisy. With that warning, though, he is making the assumption that we will practice righteousness. So beware of practicing it before other people, but then when he talks about giving and praying and fasting, he doesn't say, if you give to the needy, or if you decide to pray, or if you choose to fast, he says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. These are things that as followers of him should be normal and regular practices in our lives, activities that we engage in. That if somebody were to say, I follow Jesus, oh, that, that should be evidenced in some way through giving and praying and fasting. Those aren't the only things, but those to him, as he's teaching here, are assumed as normal and regular practices and rhythms that followers of Jesus would take seriously. That we should not just in exceptional cases or extreme circumstances think about maybe I'll give or maybe now I'll pray, but that we regularly give, we regularly pray, we regularly Fast And fasting is a good example. When we considered prayer and fasting with Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness, that was a unique length of time for Jesus in fasting. That 40 days of fasting was uh, a unique and exceptional experience for Jesus. But fasting was a regular rhythm in his life. And so there's, in all of these cases, a, a reality to there's times when something above and beyond is required but as much as we can, we should make these regular things that we do. 
and I don't know which of these subjects would, of those three would be more convicting, convicting to you than another, but there's room for us to grow probably in all of them. Has giving just become a practice? It's something you do regularly. Then at times, at Christmas or other occasions, you might think about giving more or based on news and information that you hear, you might give to address a specific need. But you're not still debating in your mind whether as a Christian, God is calling you to a life and a posture of regular generosity. In praying, again, you might hear in a text message or a phone call of some very serious situation that is now inviting you to very focused prayer. But hopefully that prayer is in addition to what is a normal, regular, and rhythm of prayer in your life. And the same with fasting. Uh, that all of these things uh, God desires for us as things that are good for us to do on a regular basis. And if we are doing them on a regular basis, then that's where the caution comes is now make sure we're doing it for the right reason, but keep on doing them. Keep on practicing all of these things for our own good. Be open to times when more is needed and desired, but be committed to it regularly. And any time you try to create any habit regularly, you quickly find out how hard it is to do anything regularly. <laughs> how many times interruptions can come your way uh, that you forget to do the thing that you wanted to do on a regular basis with any life habit that you would want to do. But here, Jesus is assuming that we would be practicing these things in a regular way, that they mark our life and our time, our daily, weekly, yearly schedule as things that help us to draw closer to him and help us to be then available to him to bless and support other people. And so we want to be practicing these things. And then he goes specifically in prayer to say two things. The first is to pray in secret. And here we, I might have been able to say, pray also in secret. <laughs> that Jesus is not saying the only type of prayer should be prayer in secret. And so he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He is himself a faithful follower of the Torah. He is regularly praying in the synagogue, praying the Psalms, praying out loud. Uh, so he knows that there are many opportunities to publicly pray, and he's not encouraging us to stop doing that. But he is challenging us to say, in addition to those times, are you also creating time and space to pray in secret? Do you, when the door is closed and nobody else can see, Nobody else can hear or know what's going on. Do you want to pray? Do you desire to do it? And so he's asking questions that help us examine our own heart. Whatever good we see in doing it publicly and doing it as an expression of care and concern for other people, when all of that is taken away and it's only us, do we still also desire to have that time alone in secret in time of fellowship with our Father. If we don't, it says something about us and our relationship with him if we don't ever desire to have 
alone time. Now, it's hard for me not to think about some of the immediate circumstances as our own family as I was reading this because this would be a challenge right now in our home. Um, a little over a week ago or so, the, the three kids could not decide what they wanted to watch on TV. It was like, we finally have a quiet night. We can sit down. We can watch something. And there, there were three different opinions on what to watch. So I said, okay, maybe if we list out, everybody list out your top three things you want to watch. Then we'll come up, maybe we all have the same number two or the same number three, and we'll get to some kind of consensus. Well, even by going with three things, we had no consensus on what they could agree to watch. So then I was trying to think if I could come up with something nobody had said before, and so I find like, oh, you know what's like a really old movie that we never have watched is Monsters, Inc. And they all right away were like, yeah, because we tried it a couple years ago, and they were all terrified. And they would not let us watch it. And now they're a little bit older. And so they're like, yes, let's watch it. And so we watched it. And they loved it. But nobody has slept well in our house now <laughs> since we have now watched that. Whatever progress we had made, we have undone by doing that. We need, I needed to wait just a little bit longer to get that. So when I think of like probably giving the assignment to anybody in our house to go in the room, be by yourself, that wouldn't work too practically right now in our house. But what Jesus is getting at is partly revealed in that. Where do your thoughts go when you are alone? Are you thinking of what you're worried about and what bad might happen? Or when you're alone in your thoughts, can you get to a place of thankfulness for the different things that maybe God has done in your life over time? Can you, alone in your thoughts, Remember the good things that you've experienced. Can you, when you're alone in your thoughts, just thank God for who he is? And so you're not even in, alone in your thoughts, rehashing an argument you had with somebody the day before, or you're not trying to get ahead of your schedule tomorrow, but you can actually, in a moment of silence and in secrecy, contemplate and adore and thank God for who he is. That he is the holy God that we sang about. That he is the one who sent his son for us. Now that's work for all of us because the, the default for all of us is in, in moments of quiet to simply think about what we need to do or think about what hurts and it's hard to think about and remember all that we have to be thankful for and grateful for. But part of maturity in any relationship is to be okay in those times of silence, in those times of secrecy. And there's something that is revealed as more fragile when, in our current experience, there's this struggle to say, no, 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 I need to see you or I'm scared, rather than being able to say, no, no, no. Even when you don't see me, don't you know I'm just right over here? Like, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to constantly see me. You don't have to constantly hear me. You can trust me even when you can't see me or even when you can't hear me. And that's how we are in ordinary human relationships. If you're at the beginning of getting to so know somebody as a friend or even as a potential partner in life, you know, the first couple times you interact, the question is, how quickly do we run out of things to talk about? Do we quickly reveal that we don't have a lot in common and we don't have a lot to talk about? And that's a worthy consideration. But the more you get to know somebody, you also realize, are we okay being together and not talking constantly? 
Like, can we just be together? And it doesn't have to always be that we're trying to solve a problem or we're trying to, that we just actually just enjoy each other. That reveals a level of maturity and depth in that relationship. And Jesus is pointing to all of those things as he's challenging us to be able to pray in secret. And in the secrecy of that, to enjoy the God who's made us. This is a little bit how it's described in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll see where the Apostle Peter talks about this same dynamic where we know these things about God, but we cannot see him, but our not seeing him should not be a barrier to our sense of confidence in him and even our enjoyment of him. So I'll actually pick it up at verse 3 of chapter 1. So 1 Peter 1, beginning of verse 3. He says all of these amazing things about God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a powerful picture. There's Peter saying to a broad Christian audience, I know you don't see him, but you still have this opportunity to love him. And in your love for him and in time with him and in meditation upon who he is, you can be filled up with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, even though you're going through various kinds of trials. Peter's describing the goodness of what Jesus was instructing his followers, that if they prioritize closing the door, praying in secret, getting to the heart of their relationship with God, and whether it is really just for show and for other people, or if it really has substance behind it and is based on trust, if it is based on trust, and then it leads to contemplation of who he is and all that he's done, There should be a way that prayer in secret strengthens us for then everything else we have to face, for every other thing life is going to throw at us. If we establish a regular pattern of being with our Heavenly Father, then we can grow in our confidence and our joy in facing life to know that we're not facing anything in our day alone. We're not left to ourselves. We spend alone time with God so that we better remember we're never alone in anything we might face in life. 
because he's with us. And time with him reminds us of that. And so not only do we pray in secret, but this also includes praying with a sense of assurance. So praying in secret, regularly, time, alone with God, but that includes praying with assurance. This is verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's hard for me to ever read these verses and not think of my own father, because if you were ever a guest in our home uh, for a meal and it came time to pray, uh, he wasn't shy in asking people to pray, to say, would you please have a short prayer for the meal? Or would you please have a brief prayer for the food? It was his way of also uh, recognizing this, that a longer prayer doesn't necessarily make it better. And also, if the food is hot, like, let's get to it while it's still hot and honor the labor that's gone into it and enjoy it. But here, uh, Jesus is saying many words don't necessarily make a prayer better. In prayer, we are not teaching God anything. (laughs) We're not informing him of things he doesn't know. He knows what we don't even know about ourselves. He knows what we don't even know about our circumstances. He knows what we don't know about our future. And we can have the assurance that he knows what we don't know. We can say, God, help us. Lord, have mercy. There's lots of brief and simple phrases that we can use that recognize he's God and we're not. And we can pray with the assurance that he is our father who knows what's best for us. And so that for us in one of our rhythms of allowing a song each week to end our evening, this week has been he's got the whole world in his hands. And how encouraging that's been just in my own heart to just end every day singing with them. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me brother and you and me sister He's got the tiny little baby. He's got my past and my future. He's got all of it in his hands. And when you know him and hearing that, you don't say, well, then why should I pray? You say, I'm so glad I get to pray (laughs) to the one who knows all those things. And I don't have to be smart enough. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to figure out the magic potion of words. Uh, I can just talk to him. He already knows, and he knows better. And he wants me to pray to him. He wants you to talk to him because he wants you to experience the goodness of love with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in its simplicity and yet its power uh, that your son can just quickly get to the heart of the matter. We thank you that he can lovingly warn us and he can also lovingly invite us closer in to deeper intimacy with you. We know that you see the various trials and struggles that are around us. But we do believe that you desire to fill us with joy inexpressible, that we would taste and see the glory that is in you 
that can give us strength for each day that we face. And so we pray that you would rescue us from ourselves, help us to not want to live in the, in the view of anyone else or in the performance for anyone else, but that we would just receive fully and completely all that you want to give us, all that you want us to experience in time with you. And we trust, Father, that you will then move our hearts and grow our capacity for giving and praying and fasting and serving those around us. And so we, we ask for your grace to make this real in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.